0: Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs here with you on a Thursday afternoon. And a lot has happened since the last time we spoke. Uh, I'll try to hit a bunch of that. Obviously, the Kirk Ferentz press conference on Wednesday. Uh, he and Gary Barta both spoke, spoke, um, as did the recruiting coordinator, and there was a, a signing day element to it. But uh, that really was not the, the, the headline or, or the story coming out of that press conference, as unfortunate as that may be uh, for the recruit to who were coming in, uh, who are excited to become Hawkeyes. Uh we'll talk about that for sure. I want to talk about men's basketball. I was at the game against Rutgers on Sunday. Uh, also had a nice win over Northwestern on Tuesday night, and now a huge game against Illinois coming up Saturday afternoon. A sold-out game where there will be 200 uh, bo- members of the Boys and Girls Club of Cedar Rapids uh, in the house, and, and they will get a rousing ovation, I'm sure. And we'll get to all of that with the Orange Crush, the Illinois' uh Student section, and uh, and some of that stuff, and then finish up with a quick preview of uh, the Iowa Maryland game uh, tonight. Won't spend a whole lot of time on that because I don't know when you'll listen to this. Probably be after that game, and uh, and you know, hopefully after another big Hawkeye win on national TV uh, for the women. But let's start uh, at the hottest topic. Uh, football is king, and uh, and Kirk Ferentz uh, made it official, I guess, kind of yesterday. Um, I think what most of us feared, what some of us expected, um, and what can't be a real shock to anybody, uh, that he does not anticipate coaching changes. Uh, heading into this year. This is how we worded it. Uh, as I
1: stand here today, you know, I anticipate no changes in our staff moving forward. Uh, that's my plan, certainly. Uh, I think we do have a terrific staff, and I thought they did a great job last year in tough circumstances and uh, you know navigated us through, I think, some big challenges. I thought our guys really coached at a high level.
0: And I'll, I'll uh, throw in here a, a question and answer from Scott Docterman of The Athletic. He was the first one to to get the mic to ask a question. Uh, so of course he asked about this, and, and this is how Kirk Ferentz uh, responded to that. Just so we have a little more context,
1: Kirk, you look at the statistics uh, for offense, mm-hmm. and you know 130th in the country. It's the lowest amount of yards for a Big Ten team since you've been here, uh, 250. Why keep the same scheme? Why keep the same people? calling the plays and organizing the offense? Well, first of all, I didn't say the same scheme, but it's not going to look radically different. I don't predict anything wild or uh, absurd there. I think we've been pretty consistent in our approach, really, for 24 years, and we own it. We own the stats. Uh, The thing I'm most focused on would be the the points, because that is what counts. Obviously, everything you do offensively goes into that. Um, But I just, uh, I guess, I look back, you know, we've had years like this, and it's not much fun, certainly, uh, to win eight games. That's no easy trick when you, when you score 17, 17.8, I guess, uh, a game. That's not easy, but I'm optimistic. I uh, think I know the, the causes, as I just covered, uh, for our challenges this year, and I think, you know, I think we've uh, taken steps already in terms of addressing it. Uh, it's going to help us to be a more veteran line. Start right there. It'll help us to be a little bit more veteran outside. And having two tight ends that you know we think are pretty good football players will take some pressure off the guys outside, uh, and you know I think we got a pretty good quarterback right now to help us. So you know I think we got the right coaches in place. I think history had proved that. Uh, you know that we've seen success with this coaching staff, and plan on moving forward. I think we're we're primed to have a uh, a good year.
0: All right. So there's just, there's just so much to unwrap here. So much to to talk about. Um, I will admit that I'm coming at this a 24 hours after it happened, so like the emotion, the knee jerkness uh, of this announcement and of this press conference has uh, worked its way through my system. Um, but also, just in general, if if you've listened to me on this podcast, uh, I think you probably know that I tend to come at these things. Um, I mean, I guess you know if if you want to put it in a negative light, maybe in a naive way, uh, I would like to say a little more level headed. Uh, or rational or logical, um, try to take some of the emotion out of it. Uh, but there, there's just there there is a lot here, and there are a lot of layers. So let, let's get into it just a little bit. Um, obviously, it's ridiculous that no changes is, is expected to be made um, with the offensive coaching staff after what we saw last season, really the last couple of seasons, um, and for a large part the entire tenure of. Brian Ference as I was head uh, offensive coordinator. I, I will say, and I've seen people speculate on this also, these words were chosen very carefully. Both Kirk Ferentz and Brian, uh, Gary Barta's words, rather, uh, were chosen very carefully. At no point was it ever said Brian Ferentz will be the offensive coordinator next year. Uh, you'll notice Kirk Ferentz says, I don't anticipate any changes to the staff. Uh, Gary Barta said a couple of times that his conversations with Brian, are ongoing. Uh, they both use the word unacceptable uh, for for what the offense was and what the offense did last year. It's clear that Kirk Ferentz believes it's not a scheme issue, it's not a coaching issue, it's a player issue, and he hasn't had the players over the last couple of years to make his offense work, or at least not work to its, to its full effectiveness because I believe he would argue, and I'm afraid he's a little bit right, Uh, That it has been effective, or at least effective enough to win games, and really, that's the only stat that ultimately matters. And Iowa does win games; they win a lot more than they lose. They win more than their their competition, Uh, and we'll get to all of that here in in a moment as well. But it's—I mean—it's patently ridiculous to to pretend that everything is okay, and they're not doing that. And you heard them talk about this; that they understand. They say they understand. That the you know seventeen point eight points a game that I will put up last year, and that, that's that's taking into account a lot of defensive scoring. Uh, the offensive points were a lot lower than that per game, but they understand that that's not enough. Now they also seem to think twenty four points is enough, and maybe it would be. Iowa's got some really good record when they've scored twenty four points. The problem is they don't they don't often get to twenty four points, and what's the record in those games? It ain't great. I mean, you put up 11 points. You beat Iowa State last year. You put up 10 points. You beat Illinois. There's a 10 win season right there. And so, so it's it's ridiculous to pretend. It would be ridiculous to pre- pretend that everything's okay. They're not doing that, even though their actions seem to to say, you know, th- their words say that they they don't think everything's okay, and they're not going to just stand pat. Their actions uh, seem to to say that. Now they have taken action in the transfer portal. Uh, and in, in that, that's, that's been really, really good to see. It's clear that Kirk Ferentz believes this was a player personnel issue, an execution issue, maybe an injury issue when it comes to receivers, uh, more so than a coaching or a scheme issue. That's worrisome, for sure, as a fan, because I think we can all see there is an extent to which it's a coaching and, and scheme issue. Maybe scheme more than coaching, although that is coaching. And the scheme is Kirk's, not Brian's. Let's be honest about that as well. Um, So we're getting to a point where this conversation uh, turns to, you can hate Brian Ferentz all you want. You can think he's a terrible coach and you can want him fired or to move on or to be reassigned or or however you want to put that. You can have those thoughts. But ultimately, this is a Kirk Ferentz issue. And so where are you with Kirk? I think you know where I am. I'll talk about that a little bit more. Where are you with Kirk? He feels like a more veteran line, which they will have this year. He feels like some help on the outside, which I guess they will have this year. Um, you know, barring injury. He feels like an additional tight end, which again, I guess they will have this year. You assume Luke Lachey will take a step forward, but he was a good tight end this last year, and they had the best tight end in the Big Ten alongside him. So if Eric Hall is the best tight end of the Big Ten, I guess that that's kind of a an even thing. Maybe slightly better if Luke Lachey takes that that next step. Uh, maybe this is a Fanton-Hawkinson situation this year. Maybe that's what they see. That's what they anticipate. They like what they have in the running game, and they really like what they have in Cade McNamara at quarterback. And so he, in, in Kirk Ferentz's mind, I want to say like I'm speculating, but no, this is what he's telling us. In his mind, if they had the right players last year, they would have been a lot better. And they feel like they have the right players this year. The problem is that benefit of the doubt of, of kind of trusting Kirk's word on this, for whatever you had of it going into last season, if you if you had any left, it's, it's pretty much all dissipated. They doubled down last year. I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And it didn't work. It certainly didn't work as well as it needed to. Um, and so... Of course, I'm disappointed that change isn't going to happen. I thought it would. It doesn't appear that it's going to. Now, again, they were very careful in the way they worded this. They, they left a door open for sure. The problem is that door now, though, like what does that look like? Let's say best case scenario, if, if you're one of these people who wants Brian Ferentz to, to not be the offensive coordinator next year, best case scenario is that he does get a job in the NFL here in the next couple of weeks, and he moves on, he accepts that job, and then Iowa is forced to find a new offensive coordinator. The problem is, any goodwill you would have gotten from making that announcement, from having that happen, is all gone now because now you've already pissed everybody off. And if if this does happen, uh, it's going to seem like you didn't want it to happen. It's going to you've already like that that ship has already sailed, and so you've lost any goodwill of PR that you can have by having that happen. I also don't really believe that's going to happen. Certainly. There's a possibility, but in my mind, there's a 90, 95% chance that Brian Ferentz is the offensive coordinator uh, heading into this next season. But I did want to just mention that the way they worded things, uh, there, there was a legal aspect to that, which was, uh, and I don't mean that like in, in the literal sense, but just like a legalese, the way they talk, uh, they left the door open for change to actually happen. Um, although I don't believe that's going to happen. So I was disappointed. More than anything, maybe I was I was disappointed in my own naivete of thinking that a change would happen. Uh, again, I don't think anybody can, can honestly be shocked that Brian Ferentz is planning to return as offensive coordinator. So it's disappointing mostly because uh, it feels like even with slightly better personnel, you're going to see a similar result to what we've seen the last couple of years, which, you know, in context and relatively is pretty damn good. And that's the biggest problem here. Is that Kirk Ference is partially certainly partially maybe mostly right about a lot of this? Now not about everything, and I'm not, not I'm not trying to like sugarcoat this and pretend like it's all good. But he is right about a few things. He's right that this offense probably will look a lot better this next season because they do have better players. Now, why didn't they have better players before? That's a coaching issue. That's a recruiting issue. It's a it's a development issue. That's all on Kirk Ferentz and his coaching staff. But assuming all of these guys come in, are healthy, and are able to play uh, at that level that we expect them to play at, this offense is going to look better next year. Not going to look drastically different. Kirk even said that. It's not going to be a drastically different scheme. But this is an offense that can put up points, that can hold on to the ball, and that can play the complementary football that Iowa wants to play with an elite defense and elite special teams and a decent offense, they can win a lot of games. And he's probably right about that. You know, there's there's an extent to which this eight-win, and I I get that it rubs people the wrong way when they bring up this eight-win streak, but it is true. Iowa has a floor. That's higher than most programs' floors. I heard people uh, make a comparison to what Iowa State did this past season, and and their offensive coordinator, Tom Manning, had put together a couple of the best offenses in the Big 12 uh, for a couple of years straight, and then had one awful season where the offense was terrible, slightly better than Iowa's, uh, but the offense was not good, and they fired their offensive coordinator. And it's like, well, man, just one bad season, and they fire him. But the one bad season Iowa State had was a four-win season. Iowa hasn't had a four-win season in over a decade. Iowa's floor is not as low as most of these other programs' floors. Or at least it hasn't been recently. With the worst offense in the country, Iowa won eight games last year. Now, of course... What you are all screaming and what I'm screaming and what we all believe is that just think what they could do with a slightly better offense. What if they had the 60th best offense, not the 130th best offense? Would they have won more of those games? They absolutely would have won more of those games this past year. Like I just said, if they score 11 points a game, that's two more wins. Could they have competed with Ohio State? I don't know. Michigan? I don't know. They should have beaten Nebraska, Iowa State, and Illinois, though. And with a better offense, you beat all of those teams. But the floor is where it is, and that's a pretty damn high floor. And so that's a problem is that Kirk Ferentz can consistently go back to that and these results, and he's not wrong. He's not wrong. There's just so much more out there. And then there's an extent to which it's just not fun to watch. The, The entertainment aspect of Iowa football has largely been sucked away. Now, it's not always not fun a lot of times it is fun and it's so fun like i i get giddy right now thinking about watching cooper de play football again watching xavier wampa as a starter watching this defensive line eat right like i love watching this defense watching tory taylor punt and cooper de get down there and, and and knock it down at the one yard line like that's fun it is entertaining but it's not consistently entertaining. And offensively, it's a slog, man. It's terrible. It's the opposite of fun. It's it's awful to watch. And there are games that are just not fun to watch. And we, built, we build so much of our, I mean, I hesitate to say lives because that feels like going too far. But it, it honestly is, right? We build so much of our fall weekends, of our mental well-being, of our entertainment dollar and time around Iowa football. That it feels like you need a more entertaining product. Now, would I rather have a more entertaining team that wins six games or a less entertaining team that wins eight games? Give me the eight wins every freaking time, of course, obviously. But there's a way to have both. And this pretending like you can't have both, I think is ridiculous. Pretending like you have to sacrifice your offense to have an elite defense is ridiculous. I don't believe that. So it's a tough position um, because now you're you're left as a fan with, in my opinion, three options. Uh, one of them is is you just don't care about Hawkeye football anymore, and I don't know about you, but I I, I can't do that. Even if I try to do that, uh, I've tried to to take my emotion out of these games to not let my mood be dictated by what happens within Iowa athletics, football and basketball primarily. Uh, And I, I, it's just, it's an instinctual thing that I'm not sure I can turn off. I have, I've been unsuccessful in trying to turn it off and I'm 40 years old. So as sad as that is, it's the truth. So the option of not being a Hawkeye fan or not caring as much just isn't there for me. Maybe it is for you. It's not there for me. Option number two is just to be pissed about this and be pissed about it really for the next eight to 10 to 12 months. And that doesn't seem like a very good option either. Especially when it's a choice that I'm making about a thing that I have no impact on. And the third option is to hope for the best. (laughs) Is to trust Kirk Ferentz again. To understand that it's not going to be great. But that it is going to be what it is. That you're going to win more games than you lose. Um, and and just kind of accept it for what it is and and go with it, and so that's where I'm at right now is is the acceptance stage, because I look at Iowa's schedule next season, and I see nine wins. I mean Utah State at Iowa State, Western Michigan, those all feel like wins to me. At Penn State feels like a loss. Home against Michigan State and and a new Purdue, those feel like wins to me. That's five. At Wisconsin feels like a loss, even though you know there's there's a regime change there that's going to affect things. Home against Minnesota, you like Iowa's chances there. At Northwestern, you like Iowa's chances there. Rutgers in Illinois, you like Iowa's chances there at home, especially. Illinois is certainly on the on the up and up, but you get them at home. And then at Nebraska, let's say that's a loss. Let's say Rule by then has Nebraska uh playing decently and your offense is terrible and you can't score, and so you lose to Nebraska. That's three losses. Yeah, you, you could absolutely pick a fourth or a fifth if, if you want to be pessimistic. You could also, if you want to be optimistic, say they get that win at Nebraska and they go 10-2 and two in the regular season. They don't play Michigan or Ohio State again next year. Like this, this, Kirk Ferentz is probably going to be right when he says he expects a better year this year. They have a better team and they have an easier schedule. So it's a tough place to be because we all want what's best for our team. And the, the, I mean, the there's also this narrative that if Brian Ference was Brian Johnson, he would have been fired three years ago. And I I just don't believe that. There's no way to be sure I don't believe that. Now, I'm not saying the fact that Brian Ferentz is Kirk's son has nothing to do with this because it absolutely does. And I, I don't know that I would know this unless I was a father, but I am. And I would burn down this building, before letting my son get hurt, right? As would all of you, rightfully so. That's how you should be. You're their dad, you're their mom, you're their parent. That's how it should be. That's why there's laws against nepotism. That's why Gary Barta is supposed to hold the reins when it comes to Brian Ferentz's job status. Because Kirk Ferentz probably would let Iowa football burn if it meant keeping his family happy. But I don't believe that he's just being loyal to Brian because he's his son. That's absolutely a part of it. It complicates things drastically. Of course it does. But Kirk has been fiercely loyal to a fault to not just coordinators, but to players, to quarterbacks. I mean, we've seen this over and over and over again. He's never fired a coordinator. He doesn't plan to ever fire a coordinator. Greg Davis retired. Ken O'Keefe got a different job. Who the hell knows what will ultimately happen with Brian Ferentz? But I doubt it'll be Kirk firing him. And I, again, I don't think it's only because his name is his last name is Ferentz. So it's a sticky situation. Uh, it's not a great one. Maybe things will change. Maybe Bill O'Brien will pick up the phone, hire Brian Ferentz away. Maybe I will. will put Meyer in that job or go out and get Josh Gaddis or whatever that looks like. And you know, a month from now we've all kind of settled down and, and it's all okay. I don't expect that to happen. I expect Brian Ferentz to be calling plays when we open the season next year against Utah state on September 2nd. And I also expect Iowa to look a lot better than they did last year and to kick the absolute crap at a Utah state. Right. And that's the problem. That's the rub is that he's kind of right. He has a point. It's not a great point, and he's not totally right, but he's kind of right. And that sucks. (laughs) It does. Uh, That's about all I have to say on that right now. I mean, we, we have months and months and months to talk about football and and the, the new players and the spring football will be coming around the corner before we know it. So uh, we'll certainly be talking about it more, and I'm sure my thoughts on this will evolve more. and It'll be something that we touch on here and there uh, as we move through uh, through the rest of the offseason. But uh, that's about all i got to say about that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're hear in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment.
1: That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp
0: you out speech. It opened up so
1: many more doors. The show is
0: called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's talk a little bit of men's basketball, a team that uh, that is playing well. Again, uh, the last time I talked about men's basketball, I was admittedly down in the dumps after that Michigan State loss. Just again, a loss that you felt like you gave away at the line, at the three-point line. A game that you, you could have won, maybe should have won, and didn't win. And it, it, it you started to worry about what was to come uh, and now we sit here two games later, a week later, and I feel completely different. Basketball games, basketball seasons, college basketball is such a roller coaster ride. And I'm on the ride, too. And I, I just again, my emotions cannot be pulled out of this. I just I've, I've been unable to do it. So if I do an instant reaction after a loss, it's going to sound like the, the sky is falling. And if I do an instant reaction after a win, it's going to sound like we're a Final Four team. And that's just how it is because it's a roller coaster. And where we are right now is we're riding high. Winners, f- six of the last eight, after an 0-3 and start in the Big Ten, six of the eight now wins uh, a couple of wins at home. It doesn't feel like that Northwestern game threw you, the, the postponement threw you completely off. Um, and so you feel pretty good about this team right now. Uh, I'll talk about the last couple of games quickly before moving to, to this Illinois game and everything that, that now surrounds it. Uh, because, hell yeah, this is going to be awesome. I wish I could be in Carver this Saturday. Woo. I'm jealous of you that'll be there. You got to tear extra loud for me. Anyway, I was at the Rutgers game on Sunday. Uh, my dad, my brother, and I took my son and my nephew. The five of us went, and it was just great. It was fantastic. Uh, The atmosphere was good. It wasn't sold out or anything like that, but it was a good crowd, a good atmosphere. So much fun to give the ovation to Patrick McCaffrey when he walked on the court the first time. Even more fun to do so every time he hit a three, which he hit three of. And an Iowa team that put up 93 on the best defense in the the Big Ten, uh, having put 76 up on them at their place uh, a month ago. The, The two... Highest point totals Rutgers has surrendered this year have both been to the Hawkeyes. Iowa has their number. The, getting the season sweep over a good team like Rutgers uh, is huge. That's that's a tournament team that Iowa just swept. That feels really really good. It was fun to be there. I hadn't been there all all year. Uh, I, I just I love Carver, man. I know it it it's not perfect, and it doesn't compare to some other arenas and. Uh, on you know weeknights at eight o'clock, there's nobody there, and, and old people knit down in the on the course side seats, and and all of that. But man, you walk in and, and it it's still you still get that feeling, right? You still get those goosebumps. You still see the, and especially now with the jerseys hanging in the rafters and being able to tell those stories, and you know my son and my nephew uh, getting their Carver experiences. Uh, this wasn't the first time my son had been there. We went to the Penn State game last year, but. You know they're they're just into it. They love it. And and watching a game, being at a game, is so different than watching a game on TV. There's just so much more to it. You get such a better view of of what's actually happening. Uh, I mean, one of the things I I was surprised at how big Peyton Sanford and Josh Dix are. Like you can read those numbers on the on the sheet, but you see them out there like next to Rabracha, bodying up Rutgers players. Like okay, okay, I get get a little better sense of uh, of what this team is. You get to see the you know the the in game entertainment stuff, the the putts and the burrito lift, and you get to see the the cheerleaders throw their pom poms into the you know loud horns of the of the male cheerleaders behind them when a, a free throw is shot and made. And there's just it's and especially when you go with a kid who is just bought into it. And you know at one point late in that game, my dad and my brother are kind of like, yeah, should we should we get out of here, you know, head out, get to the car get on the road, beat some of this traffic, and it's like, no, they, they want to stay here and watch the end of the... You know, the boys want to stay here and see the end of this game. The Hawkeyes haven't won to them yet, even though they're up by 10 with, you know, 30 seconds left. They want to see the, the handshake line, and they want to hear that in heaven there is no beer, and even though they don't know that that's the name of that song. Uh, so, you know, it's just it's just... If you haven't been to a Hawkeye sporting event in a while, go do it. It's good for your Hawkeye soul. It really, really is. And that was good uh, for mine to be there on Sunday in a, in a good win against a good Rutgers team. And then you turn around Tuesday night, you get that makeup game against Northwestern. And a Northwestern team that I did not give the credit to that I, that I probably should have. Uh, that's a good team. Adiz is a good player. That's a good defense. They played at their temple for much of that game. They dictated that. Um... They had a nine point lead late in the first half. If it wasn't for Chris Murray kind of picking up his stuff and and getting eight points there quickly and then a Peyton Sanford three, which I I heard in the postgame, he said he couldn't even really see the rim when he shot that. It was just feel uh, and he's he's feeling it if anybody is right now Uh, to see um, him have that that four point play turned out to be a six point play was so great. That Northwestern team is good. I had the at-Northwestern game chalked up as a win. I'm, I'm second-guessing that at this point. Certainly, Iowa could go in there and win. Uh, but that's a better team than I thought they were. But Iowa got the job done. And, uh, you know, one of the big things I, I thought was interesting about that game is I think you saw the difference between a good tee and a bad tee. And for all the the hate that Fran McCaffrey gets, and, and some of it he brings on himself, and some of it is is rightful... Uh, he rarely gets a bad technical foul. Not never, but rarely. It's been a while. The technical foul he got in the first half ultimately didn't hurt Iowa. Now, I don't know if you can point to that and say that sparked a run or that's why Iowa you know, tied the game before halftime. And I honestly don't know if, if you can point to that and say it drastically changed the way the game was called. But it certainly didn't hurt the team. The Northwestern technical hurt the team. I mean, that was a an eight point game or or something. Maybe maybe the Sanford three made an eleven point game, but all of a sudden it's a fourteen point game with like three minutes left, and that that game's over. You didn't lose the game the the, the game for your team, but you lost your team any opportunity to come back in that game. And so I thought that was interesting. I thought the way I will port it on at the end. I thought Rabracha's toughness he scored the first six points scored a bunch of those late points he and he and Sanford were the, the go-to guys down the stretch there and to pull away and get a 16-point win over a pretty good Northwestern team that says a lot about this team and so I feel good about the way they're playing right now and, and Patrick didn't play a lot but he uh he didn't score a lot uh but he he contributed and. Ulis has been playing really well. Again, he kind of had his worst game of the last few against Northwestern, but the way he's able to get to the rim, his game is really starting to pick up. I I would like to see, I think, Fran tinker with the starting lineup a little bit. And tinker might not be the best word, but maybe just out and out change the starting lineup. They did that about this time last year, and it paid dividends. I'm not sure you need Ulis and Perkins on the floor at the same time to start the game. I think I'd rather have Peyton Sanford out there. And now I know Peyton Sanford coming off the bench is has been a killer. He's been great. And he's he's done really well in that role. And I understand that starting doesn't matter all that much. It's more about how many minutes you play. And, and if Peyton Sanford is getting starters minutes off the bench, what's the difference? I just I feel like the second group. Having Peyton Sanford and Patrick McCaffrey kind of coming in in that second group, it just feels like uh, you'd rather have a different mix of players. So, you know, something like a Uless Sanford. I think Connor McCaffrey stays in the the starting lineup. I don't think there's any need to insert Patrick back into the starting lineup at this point. Let Connor start. He's such a calming presence out there. His basketball IQ, his passing ability, his defense, all of it. And his ability to shoot threes at this point uh, is becoming really cool. I think Connor stays starting. Obviously, Chris and Robrata are your starters. But I think if you if you flip flop that two guard, you put Peyton Sanford out there to start, and then you let Tony Perkins come in with that energy uh, in that second group, and maybe he and Patrick McCaffrey come in. Uh, I, I think that you know he and Patrick come in for uh, for Sanford and Connor, you know, at some point there, and maybe Bowen gets a few more minutes, or Dix gets a few more minutes at point guard instead of Eulis. Uh, but I, I just like you see to see you play around with that a little bit more, um, and again, play around is probably not the right way to, to say it. And you know things are working. I'm, I'm nitpicking a little bit here uh, as we move forward, but I like the way this team is playing. Uh, got some big games here coming up, but you can certainly see the path to Iowa, uh, not just getting back into the NCAA tournament, but potentially you know scoring a top four seed uh, in the Big Ten tournament a uh, top four finish in the big 10 conference, because you look at this conference right now and other than Purdue, this is, this is a, they're just stacked up. This is a a conference in which I don't think there's a clear second best team or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth, right? Uh, Purdue is the best team. And to catch Purdue at this point, I think is un- unrealistic for any of these teams, but between Illinois and Rutgers at 7 and 4, Northwestern at 6 and 4, Indiana, Maryland, Iowa and Michigan State at 6 and 5. That's 2 through 8 who are within a game of each other. And then you, Michigan's 5 and 5, they're a half game back from there. So Anything could happen. I saw an interesting stat where, you know, when I will beat Rutgers on Sunday, Rutgers was the second place team in the Big Ten. When I will beat Northwestern on Tuesday, Northwestern was the second place team in the Big Ten. When I will play Illinois on Saturday, Illinois will be the second place team in the Big Ten. And if I will beat Illinois, I will move up uh, likely into a second place tie in the Big Ten. So Iowa has an opportunity here to not win the Big Ten. But to get into that top four, get that double buy in the tournament, and you, we all understand how big that is, and how big a tournament run can be for us, for them, for the program, for all of it. So there, there's just such a logjam here, second through nine in the Big Ten standings that anything is possible. So if, you, if you're playing well, if you hit your stride now, if, if you get these guys to be a little more consistent, you can really make some hay here. So now we turn to Saturday's game against Illinois. Start by talking a little bit about this Orange Crush situation that cropped up Wednesday night with a statement from the Orange Crush, which is, I don't know if it's the entire Illinois student section or some some section of the Illinois student section. This traveling band of, Illinois student fans who like to go and infiltrate the the opposing arena. And they do so under the guise of, of a different group. Uh, why do they do that? I don't know. Have they been denied tickets because they try to buy them as the Orange Crush? And so then they, they use a, a different you know name or organization to, to try to slip in? I don't know. Uh, I'm sure we'll know more about all of that. And I'm sure it's really cool for Illinois and for those fans to show up to an opposing arena, unexpected, have 200 tickets in the same section, wait just before tip of the game, and reveal yourselves as the Illinois Orange Crush, and you've here, you've infiltrated this arena, you've taken it over, you're going to be louder than the other student section, and you're going to impact this game on the road. I'm sure that's cool. I wish that I would could do something like that. Absolutely. I wish we could take over our own arena at times. You can't do it posing as the Boys and Girls Club. You can't. It's a bad look. Even if you give money to the Boys and Girls Club. Even if you're a charitable organization. Pick a different name. Pick a different thi- thing. You can't do it under that guise. And if you do, and you get caught... You gotta own it, man. That was my 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 first reaction to this. And I'll be honest, I was uh, I had a really cool opportunity this week. Seaton O'Connor from the Dan Patrick Show. If you listen to Sports Talk Radio, you probably know who that is. If you don't, he's just a name. But he came into Des Moines this week on his way from uh, Connecticut, where Dan Patrick does his show, to the Super Bowl, and we invited him here to come hang out, go to a Drake U and I game go to some bars and I got to hang out with him the whole time. I got to kind of be a chaperone, Uh, got to see the sprinter van they're driving across town and got to take him to some cool spots here in Des Moines, got to take him to the Drake UNI game, which was an incredible game, a double overtime thriller. Um, Got to just spend a a lot of cool time with a a guy that, that I like that I've always liked on the radio and now I like as a person. And so that was a really cool moment for me. It was a cool opportunity. It was a lot of ways full circle in my radio career. Um, But it also meant I wasn't paying attention to this kind of as it happened on Wednesday night. So when I saw this first, I had already, Iowa had already put out its statement. But the Orange Crush put out this statement initially. And I'll be honest, this is like a 600-word statement. I haven't read the whole thing. My eyes glazed over like halfway through the first paragraph. But they call Iowa cowards. They say they rescinded their tickets. And now they're out all this money because they had chartered these buses that it's too late to get the refund back. Or you know, get the deposit back or whatever it is, and and that Iowa is afraid of Illinois student sections, so they screwed them over, and they waited to the last minute to do it. And you know what I say to that? If I would did that, good, good, screw you, good. This is a game. You're playing a game. You're playing a game by trying to get into our, our arena under false pretenses. And if you had gotten done, I mean, good, good on you. If 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 that had worked, so be it. But it didn't work. You got caught. You lost this round. You lost the game. Take your L and go home and try again next time. Don't call Iowa's morality into question. Don't say you're a charitable organization, so you deserve these tickets. Don't say Iowa is afraid because they can't sell out their own arena. This is a, this is a sold-out game. Take the L and go home. Connor McCaffrey put it really well today on, on Twitter. Uh, this is exactly how I feel about it. And I'm quoting Connor I- exactly here. Okay, fine, I'll say something. Illinois fans, admirable attempt. I love it, but we got ya. It was a really good try. This is gamesmanship and a rivalry, and we took this round. More rounds to come. And as for the lost money, that's what you get for posing as the Boys and Girls Club. Absolutely. Hell yeah. You're right, Connor. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And oh, by the way, Iowa's dunk on Illinois, on the Orange Crush, of taking those tickets and giving them to the actual Boys and Girls Club of Cedar Rapids and giving 200 underprivileged kids who maybe have never seen the Hawkeyes play, maybe have never been inside Carver Hawkeye Arena, had this opportunity. Just a a, a master stroke. A thing of beauty. Mark Morehouse said it was the Lambo leap. I don't love the reference because I hate the Packers, but he's exactly right. One of the few times Iowa PR has hit a home run. Because now it's not, I mean, they're, they're, it's unassailable. Hey, you tried to get in here. We stopped you. And not only that, we're going to do the thing that you said you were going to do. We're going to give these tickets to underprivileged kids. And if I was smart, and I don't know that they are, but if I was smart, they're going to give these kids the day of their life. They're going to make this a big deal. They're going to put these kids up on the jumbotron multiple times, right? Like, really, really welcome these Cedar Rapids Boys and Girls Club kids to this game. The Iowa fans will love it. They'll go nuts. I mean, you think that Patrick McCaffrey ovation was big the other day. These 200 kids are going to be treated like rock stars in Carver Hawkeye Arena, and they should be. And it's awesome. And screw you, Orange Crush, for even trying it. Tip of the cap, You can't use the Boys and Girls Club. You can't do that. You can't. But if you do and you get caught, you take your L, you own it, and you walk away. You don't put out a a scathing statement. You don't pretend like I was in the wrong somehow here. I get that I have my black and gold glasses on, and I'm a very biased person when it comes to Hawkeye athletics. I don't see an objective case where I was in the wrong here. I don't know when Iowa found out about this, I don't know if they they found out about this a while ago and waited till the last minute to do this just to try to screw the Orange Crush. But if they did, that's part of the gamesmanship, right? They were trying to screw Iowa. I don't know. I, I doubt that that's what happened. Honestly, I doubt. I don't know how ticket sales go or how ticket things go inside an athletic department. I wouldn't be surprised if they waited until after Tuesday night's game to even focus on this Saturday game with Illinois and the group tickets. I've seen some speculation that I don't know, but maybe they reached out to this Illinois chapter of the Boys and Girls Club to try to give these kids a cool experience and say, hey, when are you going to get here? What can we do to make this fun for you? And in doing that, realized, oh, this is not a chapter of the Boys and Girls Club. This is the Illinois student section, and they purchased these tickets under false pretenses. Now, I don't think it's fraudulent. I don't think they should pursue legal action. They refunded their tickets, and they donated them to somebody else. It's a masterstroke. It's so well done by Iowa. Good on you. Screw you, Orange Crush. I hope you take that L. I hope you learn from it. I honestly hope you try again, right? And I hope we, we win the next chess match as well. And then more than anything, I hope you have another L to take on Saturday afternoon, because this is a monster game. For the Hawkeyes. You have to protect home court. You want to protect home court. I mean, you feel pretty good about going on the road, I think, at Minnesota, who's 1-10 in in the Big Ten. Wisconsin is really falling apart. You feel pretty good about those games on the road, I think. I mean, you could see a situation where Iowa goes on the road and and beats Indiana. You're not getting Purdue. I don't know about Northwestern. You could see that, though. But you want to protect home, home court. And this is a big, big time to do it. We've lost a lot of games to Illinois, man. This has been a fun rivalry. It's been a good rivalry. But they've been better in the rivalry. They've gotten the better of us recently, certainly. Let's change that. They're coming into our house. It's a packed arena. We've kept them out. Let's beat their ass, <laughs> right? And Illinois is playing pretty well. They've won three in a row. They've won seven of their last eight. The one loss at home to Indiana a couple of weeks ago. But they haven't played the best of the Big Ten yet. Their other uh, Big Ten losses are to Penn State, to Maryland, to Northwestern, and then that one to Indiana. So like they're losing to teams that aren't great, but are okay. But they're beating teams that aren't great either. I mean, they beat a Wisconsin team that, that has fallen apart. They won at Nebraska, which Iowa lost, you know, so you, you know, whatever. Uh, but Nebraska's not a great team. They beat Michigan State, which I wasn't able to do, but that was a home game. They won at Minnesota, which everybody seems to be able to do. They beat Ohio State, which I wasn't able to do, but they, they were at home. They won at Wisconsin, so they got the sweep of Wisconsin and the sweep of Nebraska. In these seven games, four of them have been against Wisconsin and Nebraska. One against Minnesota. Those are the three worst teams in the Big Ten. So while they're playing well, and while they're 7-4, and and they've won three in a row and seven of their last eight, they haven't played a murderer's row. They don't play Purdue until the final game of the the regular season. Um, So they're coming to Iowa, feeling good about themselves, certainly. uh, But Iowa's feeling good as well. So, I think Iowa can win this game. Must win is is certainly is, is going too far, but this would be a big one to get, man. This would be a fun one to get. It's one that we would really like, that could help a lot down the road, and it, just really stick it to the Orange Crush, right? It's fun, though. This is what rivalries are supposed to be. I hope a an enterprising group of Iowa students finds a way to infiltrate Illinois the next time we play in Champaign. Because screw the Orange Crush, go Hawkeyes, let's do the damn thing. We'll have it covered from every angle at HawkeyeNation.com. A huge game for the Iowa women tonight. Number 10, uh, number 8 Maryland in town against the number 6 Hawkeyes. Maryland has won 4 in a row, but Iowa's was won s- uh, 4 in a row in the series over the last few years. But Iowa has won 6 in a row, I think, and and 12 of their last 13 uh, I was playing really well. They play well at home. Caitlin Clark on a big stage ESPN. This is a nationally televised, not ESPN two or plus or, or you. This is ESPN national TV, Seven thirty tonight. Big game, big game for the Hawkeyes coming off that huge win against Ohio state, uh, a nice win against Nebraska. And now uh, just a monster game tonight. So let's hope the women uh, can get that done hope caitlin clark can shine on a national stage as she tends to do we'll have it all covered hawkeye from every angle as we always do check it out check out what we're doing we appreciate you following along i appreciate you listening and go hawks